I V M. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Musafir Stories, India's very own travel podcast, where each week we discuss the story of travelers in their own words and reel up their experiences with you, our listeners. Hi guys, I'm your host Saif and our guest traveler today is Namita Kulkarni from the blog Radically Ever After. Not only is Namita a traveler, but she's also a full-time yoga teacher, a writer and an artist. Namita has completed over 600 hours of Yoga Alliance certified teacher training and has learned from various teachers and students around the world. Apart from yoga, she loves creating adventures and misadventures, reading, learning new languages, generally seizing the day and living to share the tale. Mostly a solo traveler, Namita has chased her fears across 14 countries and gotten to know them better with each and every journey. from ziplining in thailand to jumping off of a waterfall in mauritius to rafting in rishikesh paragliding in bear to bouldering in flip-flops in hampi to getting lost with a dead cell phone on a small thai island namita has done it all she's been featured on holidayfy stazela bangalore mirror polka cafe and has been rated as one of the top solo women travelers from india namita thank you so much for being a part of the musafir stories and welcome to the podcast Thank you so much Saif I'm really excited to be doing this Oh believe us the pleasure is all ours Before we get on Namita the introduction that I gave is kind of concise and uh, short and sweet so why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself your blog radically ever sure. after and mm-hmm. uh, how the travel bug really bit you when did you get traveling <laughs> Okay right so hi everyone thanks for joining in I'm Namita, a full-time yoga teacher based in Bangalore for the past couple of years now. And I was in Bombay for a good five years before that. And as long as, for as long as I can look back on my life, travel has been a part of my life. I grew up going to about eight different schools, four different cities. So when did the travel bug bite me is a tough question to answer, actually. But I would say the first time that I traveled solo, was about four years ago. That was the first time I just took off on a trip completely on my own. And that was to a village in the Himalayas where I was going to study some yoga. So if I had to say, when did the travel bug really bite me, where I became very intentional and deliberate about doing this and loving this and planning my life around this, then I would say it began then. I think that was 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Excellent. So Namita, tell us a little bit more. Uh, tell us the story behind the name Radically Ever After. It, it isn't a common name that one can come across. So tell us a little bit more about it. How did you come up with that name? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, well, how did it come into my head? Let's see. Well, I was at the same place that I told you where I went to study yoga. There was this girl, an Indo-Canadian girl, who used the word rad a lot. You know, they say, that's so rad, and this is so rad. Uh-huh. So it walked into my head the first time there. She said that so often, that word just stuck in my head, and I liked the energy of it. And then I happened to go to a yoga festival in Bali much later, like a good six months later. 
And the first teacher who walked in, who I'd been looking forward to and who I'd been following around, she walked in with a tank top that said, stay rad. You know, it kind of felt like, hey, I've seen that somewhere. So it was a deja vu for me there. And then Gloria Steinem is somebody that I really admire. And I heard her say in an interview that women get more radical as they age. So, and I was really impressed with that, but I liked the feeling of that. And I think that way, that word has sort of been jumping into my life everywhere in different ways. And that word made a lot of sense to the way that I want to live my life, you know, radically ever after is the name of my blog and also the kind of vision I have for my life. So it fit in and I happened to see a book called Dangerously Ever After or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of put together the word radical and this concept of, you know, living a certain way. And it all came together and Radically Ever After sounded like the kind of blog title that would not restrict me to write only about travel or only about yoga because I'm into both. And I also have an artist side to me, so there are also paintings there. So I wanted a blog name which kind of would do justice to all these different things and not limit me. If I had a travel-related name, the blog would somehow get streamlined and I would only be talking about travel. Or if that had to do with yoga, then again, the same problem with that. So I like the energy of this word and the way it would just let me do whatever I wanted to do on the blog. Because it says so radically ever after, so I'm free then. You know, <laughs> excellent. So that way, uh, your interests don't have to be limited that way, right? You can exactly. blog about all of your interests in one place rather than have separate blogs or uh, separate um, places where you post content that you like. Anyway, that's a nice little story about the name of the blog. But tell us a little bit more about when you got into writing because some of your lines are uh, kind of poetic in itself. So it's hard for <laughs> me to believe that you just started writing three or four years ago. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, thank you for the compliments, Seth. That means a lot to me. Well, I, yeah, actually, I did start writing just about three or four years ago. I, I did these couple of trips. One was to Mauritius, was volunteering, mm-hmm. teaching yoga to kids in orphanages and schools. And another was the Bali trip that I mentioned where I went for this yoga festival. So imagine after you come back after two long trips like this, and you have so many stories and experiences and funny things and sad things and weird things. So I could have talked and talked and talked until your years fell off. So I realized that's not a very civilized way to tell my stories. You know, it's nice to have it written down. It made sense to write it down because then I can just really look back on my experiences and record them for myself in a way. It's a way for me to also relive those stories, not just to tell someone else, but also for me. So it made sense to me to just, and I was excited about it more than it making sense. I was just excited about sharing these stories and writing seemed like a very natural progression that, okay, I have all these stories. I'm not going to talk till people's ears fall off. So let's write them, you know, and then when I'm writing them, I can decide, I can see where I'm going too much in one direction. I can see where I'm heading. Helps me make sense of my experiences So it all comes together well. So I really enjoyed the writing. I wrote one article, one blog post here, one story there, and one thing kept leading to another, and the response was good. There were a lot of people responding and enjoying these things that I was writing, and random people saying they related to it and saying that's exactly how I felt, or I I didn't put it in words like that, but that's really how I felt. You know, you get a lot of um, affirmation from that. So I think it just 
took off from then. I had no idea it would turn into a blog and that would give me travel opportunities or win me some free trips or, you know, <laughs> get me lists about, you know, top, like now I'm in the top 50 yoga blogs of 2017. I had no idea things like that would happen. It was just about me sharing my excitement. Awesome. And I, I, for one, strongly believe that uh, what you write is a reflection of the person you are. So that way, me saying that um, your writing is, so, um, it has a poetic feel to it. I think it just goes to show what kind of a person you are and what the thought process is. So excellent. With that thought. That's really kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Namita, with that thought, I will introduce you to a little tradition that we have at the Musafir Stories where each okay. week, whenever we have our guest writer, guest blogger on the show, what we do is we pick up an Indian destination um, okay. and then talk in depth at length about that destination with the travel blogger and uh, share his or her experiences so that we can inform and educate um, any potential or any budding travelers who'd like to be there and uh, just just discuss it for the experiences of the travel. So with that in mind, uh, what is the destination that you will be taking our listeners to today? Well, the place is called Netala, uh-huh. which I don't know if you've heard of, but it's a small remote Himalayan village completely off the grid Good luck trying to get even one bar of network on your phone when you're there. It's that kind of a place, really inaccessible, tough to reach, but a place that I completely, completely just lost, you know, all sense of like which century you belong to as well, because it takes you to another experience altogether. Awesome. And why Netala, if I may ask? Well, um, it's really special to me also because that's the place where I went, my first solo travel that I was telling you about. Uh-huh. It was the destination. There there was this yoga ashram there. So I stayed at that ashram studying the yoga there. And why that place? Because I think in all the places that I've been to, not just in India, even other countries, that place had the most magic for me. Yeah, first impressions, especially um, something yes. related to travel and from your um, background in yoga as well. I'm, I'm sure it has a, a close place in your heart. Right. Yes. It all just adds up, you know, the fact that it was my first trip like that alone. The fact that there was all that yoga and meditation and the river, the Ganga is right there. It's on the banks of the Ganga, in fact. So there's a lot going for it. Awesome. Before we get into the depth of um, the things like what you did there, etc. How does one get to Netala? Well, um, one way is that you get to Haridwar. By your train, you know, and then from Haridwar, you get a bus or a taxi and that's how you get to Netala. That's one way of doing that. What we did was a pretty tough way. We were in Rishikesh Mm. and we took bus as in we hired a bus for the entire group. It was one rocky ride because the roads were bad. That year, the floods had happened. Mm. If you remember, Turkashi floods. So Netala is about eight kilometers north of Uttarkashi. So the roads were just haywire. I mean, you wouldn't even call them roads. There were rocks falling from the hills that we were passing by. And sometimes you would have to stop in the middle of the road waiting for the rocks to fall and go. And then you'd wonder that what's the guarantee that they're done falling, you know? <laughs> so you've counted three, four, five falling. Does that mean it's done? No, maybe the sixth one is going to fall when you're passing by. So it was pretty scary for us to get there. I don't think it's that scary now. I think now it's a lot better to get there. So... 
if you go to the ashram that I was telling you about, it's called the Shivananda Ashram, which mm-hmm. is in Nepal. So that's where I stayed because I was doing the yoga course with them. Right. So if you go to that website of that Shivananda Ashram, they tell you Haridwar, and then from Haridwar take a bus or a taxi. Mm-hmm. And the way we went is from Rishikesh. We hired this bus and we went. It was a dangerous drive, and our safety measures for the day were basically we said some mantras at six a.m. when we took off. <laughs> And we all did that. We were people from about, I don't know, maybe seven, eight different countries because people come from all over to do these courses. So we all said the Gayatri Mantra and these other mantras that we just learned anyway in the teacher training. Uh-huh. So we said them and we really meant them, I think. So I think somehow that worked. That was <laughs> extent of our safety measures. Awesome. And we got there finally and we were really amazed that, okay, we made it. Such an inaccessible place and we're fine. We've reached <laughs> yeah, as yeah. I say, when uh, nothing else is guaranteed to work, uh, I think it's better to fall on the old tried and tested methods, right? Right, yeah, it's more tried and tested than just, you know, looking up and going, God, please, <laughs> no accident, let's just get there in one piece. So that worked, yeah, we kind of did that. and But then that's not what I recommend to people. I hope you stay stay, stay safe and have better safety measures. And I hope, you know, you'll have better roads. I think now the roads must be better than they were three years ago. Yeah. And for some of us geographically challenged folks, Netala is in the state of Uttarakhand, about eight kilometers from Uttarkashi, as Navita mentioned earlier on. And um, as you said, Haridwar is one way of getting there. And uh, or you could also go uh, go there from Rishikesh. Um, And how how long a drive is this, uh, Navita, from Rishikesh? Which was oh, it took us about it took us about nine hours actually because we left at six a.m. got there around three a, three p.m. Okay. and I think that was also because of the roads being so bad and we're waiting in the middle for the rocks to fall and go. So that was I think it took us longer than it would have if things were not so difficult. Okay, so yeah, if someone is planning to travel to Netala from Rishikesh, you have to be cognizant of the fact that it takes you about nine hours to get there by road. And the road conditions might um, might change for the worst, depending on the climatic conditions there. So it's better to be prepared while heading out on that journey. And in terms of talking in terms of preparation, Namita, uh, is there something specific that you had to prepare while you were headed out on this journey? Well, um, not really. Well, I went in the month of October uh-huh. and it wasn't too cold. It was, you know, just that slight nip in the air and maybe a little more than that. So, you know, just a few woolens and that's fine. You're not going to be freezing there, at least not in October. So you'll have a good time, I think, if you just go packing light, not expecting any major creature comforts. Uh-huh. Yeah, not expecting creature comforts, actually, you know, because it's a pretty off-the-grid place, no networks, your phone signal will not work, forget about internet or Wi-Fi. And that's the whole point anyway, right? You go to a place like that to go off the grid. And that's the beauty of it. You feel like you're in a different century there. Like one of the things I tell people is that it's not a real holiday if you never get out of yourself, (laughs) out of your own head and get out of your own understood boundaries of who you are. You want to get out of all that. And that's when you know you've gone somewhere. Otherwise, you could have as well been in your living room. If you're going to be there scrolling through your phone, you might as well have been, you know, in whatever, whichever city you live in. So. It is a city that takes you out of your comfort zone. Not a city, actually. It's a village that takes you out of your comfort zone and puts you in a place where you don't really miss your 
so-called comforts that much. You kind of feel like, hey, this is really the way to live. Can I can I stay on here? <laughs> you have that feeling when you're there. So, so in terms of staying in touch with family, friends, how did you do that? How do I do that? Well, you would have to go to the nearest town. Go to the nearest town where you have a market where you buy your vegetables, which is what we did. Oh. And from there, you have your phone calls and all of that. Okay. Awesome. So, getting on, Lamita, you did mention earlier on that um, you did stay at, uh, at an ashram. So, tell us a little bit more about your lodging and uh, also a little bit more about this program that you went to be a part of. Right. Okay. So, this was a one-month teacher training program by the Shivananda Yoga Ashram. Okay. And I, I enrolled in it because a friend of mine had done this in from their Kerala center and she had recommended them to me. So I went thinking, okay, you know, it'll be great. I'll uh, learn some yoga, have my, and it's, a, it's called a 200 hour teacher training certification for anyone who's into the yoga. They would be familiar with that. But if you want to go there just to enjoy the place, then you can find other places to stay at as well. It doesn't have to be the ashram. You don't have to do the course. Mm-hmm. So if you look it up, I'm, there are places, I think I've seen something called an Anand guest house or some random guest houses that have come up in that area. Okay. So if you go on TripAdvisor or some other, if you do some basic online trawling, you will find some places to stay at there. And also the room where we stayed at, it was a dorm. Okay. As in, we had these bunk beds and about four or five of us women were put up in that room. And it was beautiful, lovely, rustic setting and all of that. But the first thing we saw when we got in there was massive spiders. Oh. <laughs> like as big as your palm, really. They're not, they're not domestic urban spiders. These are spiders who are, you know, in the wild, right? So okay. they were massive. One of them looked pregnant somehow. I remember one of the girls saying, hey, that's a pregnant spider. And I was like, how is that even a thing? But apparently it is. So, yeah, so one of them was that massive. And we all ran out screaming at our highest pitches because we are these urban people who are not used to seeing anything else other than human beings. So... <laughs> He ran out screaming at a house picture that there are spiders, there are spiders. And the people there were like, of course there are spiders. Look around, you know, you're the oddity. The human beings are the oddity here. So it was funny. And then we kind of, it gives you a lot of perspective. If your roommates are going to be these menacing spiders, not just one or two, but a few of them, then every other problem you have in life is going to pale in comparison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then so that's a really, memorable welcome, I'd say, right? I think so, because also after the drive, imagine nine hours of that rattling and crazy hot drive, dusty roads, or falling rocks, so our brains are a little fried and rattled from all of that, yeah. and we're just feeling stiff and, you know, feeling very, you know, that feeling after a really ro- long, rough road journey. And this was the way that, this was a perfect way to get jolted out of that. Out of that entire baggage of, oh, this journey was so tough, you know, to get jolted out of that story into a whole other thing here was, it was perfect to have those spiders that way do that for us. Yeah, at least it woke you up, I guess. Massively. <laughs> I think we woke up the rest of the village as well with our screams then. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so you said this was a one month course, right? Uh, yeah. Does that mean you ended up um, staying up? at that village or uh, or at that center for a month or was this spread oh, across? Wish, yeah, I wish I wish we'd stayed there for a month, but we <laughs> stayed there only for a week because okay. that was the year the floods had happened. 
in Uttar Kashi. So they said that it wouldn't be safe to stay there for a month because we don't know when something goes wrong again. And there's no food supply and water supply that's just regularly and easily done to a place like that. So if nature takes a fancy and, you know, does something bizarre around that area, then you are stuck in that place without a food supply. So that's not pretty, right, to have that going on. So that's why they decided that we'll just do barely a week there. Mm -hmm. Enjoy as much as you want for that one week. Love the place and everything. Explore it. Go on your treks and walks. And we'll have the yoga. And the other time, you're free to do whatever you want. So we made the most of it in that one week. And the rest of the time, we were staying at Rishikesh. Okay. And uh, Namita, tell us a little bit more about uh, the yoga course in itself. How was how's the whole, um, I don't know, curriculum, if I may? Um, yeah, sure. Was it was a one-month course, and I paid, I think, 25,000 rupees for it, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, something around there. Okay. And for foreigners, it's way more expensive. So if you have the Indian advantage, you'll pay much, much less than the foreigners pay. So that's good. And the course curriculum was we studied a, the Bhagavad Gita quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Then there was the Shivananda sequence of poses. They teach you about the chakras, about the yoga philosophy, a lot of things. I mean, the manual they give you is pretty comprehensive. I still have it and I refer to it now and then. Mm-hmm. So it just really quite uh, quite interesting the curriculum you even study about things like karma and all these things and the the idea is finally for me it's that when i study something new i'm not i'm not looking at being told what to think i'm just being shown a new way of thinking and i can decide what direction i want to take it in it's like the door is opened yeah. like say about karma or whatever i'd like to you know think about it in a way that makes sense to me so i won't completely believe what I'm being told, but I'll explore it. I'll experiment with it in my own life. And then if it makes sense to me, then I take it. So that's something that I like about learning new things. It opens new doors in your mind. And that's a way of traveling too. Absolutely. That's that's a progressive and uh, right way of looking at it, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. but, but if somebody wants to sign up for this, um, how, long, how long do they uh, have these courses for? Like, do they run through the year or how does it work? Well, because this is a yoga teacher training course, I Uh think the requirement is that you have at least one year of a yoga practice going on before you do this course. So make sure you have that. Mm -hmm. You just join a class and be practicing for one year and then you can do a teacher training course. In general, that's how it works as far as I know. And how how do they sign up? Well, they have the website if you look them up. And I think it's pretty simple. I don't think it's complicated at all. So anybody who's interested can do that. But just bear in mind that this is a traditional school of yoga. So, But if you can go being prepared for that, that this is a really traditional and traditional and a rigid, conservative kind of a school from my experience of it, at least. So there are other schools internationally or even in India where they encourage you to ask questions, where they say, yeah, sure, you can ask why, what, when, how, and you can challenge what is being taught here. There are teachers like that. There are courses like that. So you can go for those if you think, you know, that's better for you. Excellent. And then for more information, one should look up their website, right? The Shivananda Yoga Ashram, you said? Yoga Vedanta Ashram. I think that's what it's called. Shivananda Yoga Vedanta Ashram. Okay, cool. Well, actually, they have branches everywhere. They're in the Bahamas as well. Mm, Interesting. They're all over the world, yeah. Okay. We will, anyway, for the reference of our listeners, we'll leave a link 
to the yoga website as well. So if anybody is interested, you can go look it up for more information. And it's right next to the bridge. There's a huge bridge there, which you cannot miss if you're there. It's called the Siror Bridge, S-I-R-O-R. So that bridge, again, is one of those amazingly magical things there, which you'll see when you go walk on that bridge. Everyone who goes there talks about how they felt walking on that bridge. Mm. So this ashram is just right next to it. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, tell us, so tell us a little bit more about your stay there, uh, four or five days, you said. Um, what yes. are some of the things you spent doing there? Because uh, I know this is not one of those conventional trips where you yeah. go just check into a hotel and then you're out looking at touristy places, mm-hmm. um, shopping and whatnot. This is completely right. different from that. So give us a flavor of that. Uh, how have you spent your time? Yeah, sure. I love looking back on that trip as well. Well, we'd have these morning walks. It was called a silent morning walk. Mm. So there's also something called a walking meditation. So you can think of it that way. Or you can just think of it as a silent morning walk. So you just, everybody's just walking. We all set out in a group at around 6 or 5.30 or whatever time that is. And nobody talks. And we just keep walking. And maybe you talk very little if you want to alert somebody about something. So that was beautiful, and we walked in such a beautiful place. We followed the the Ganga River, the way it was turning into a sting. So we followed it, walking alongside it, mm-hmm. and it took us to these amazing places, which I had only seen in calendars, or not even in calendars, in fact. So <laughs> It completely feels like you're in the lap of nature, right? Yeah, it is, and there was this place that we used to call the beach there. And we called it the beach because a um, really sandy place on the shore of the Ganga on the other side of the ashram, opposite side. So to get there, you would have to like cross a few thorny bushes, a little bit of a steep trail. You're not very easy to get there, but worth the risks. Mm. So getting there was fun. I remember considering at first that do I want to take the trouble to get there? You know, I might get hurt and all of that. You know, the city mind comes in and <laughs> Yeah, and then I thought, no, I'm doing this anyway. And I got there, and then I felt like, hey, you know, this is what it's for. The world, it may sound very self-aggrandizing, but I mean it in the humblest way. The world exists for me to explore, for people like me, not just me, but I mean for human beings or for anybody who cares, to explore it and experience it. Absolutely, absolutely. So after getting there, it was so beautiful. There was this little pond and the clearest water I've seen. And all of that I would not have experienced if I thought, hey, you know, I'll get hurt, you know, I might fall, so I don't want to do this. So if I thought like that and turned back, I would not have experienced that. So it was a small eureka moment for me that, you know, it's worth the trouble. Go and explore. As simple as that. And and, uh, tell us a little bit more about any memorable or forgettable experiences in terms of, um, say, the food or the people or anything, anything during that trip. Well, about the food, I have to say we had just two meals a day. Okay. Two, sattvic, two completely sattvic meals a day cooked in the ashram in uh-huh. that completely sattvic style. So it's not spicy, salty, none of that. Really, really simple food. And also when you eat like that, like in that entire month, in fact, we ate like that. So when I ate like that, even after the first week, I'm someone who is a bit of a brat. So I had a chocolate with me. <laughs> so you're not allowed to eat that kind of stuff anyway. But I snuck in, I think it was an eclairs or something. So after one week of that really simple sattvic food i had this one little chocolate and the taste of that literally exploded in my mouth which it would not have earlier we get desensitized to these tastes our taste buds are overindulged right so 
Absolutely. It's nice to once in a while have a break like this where your food habits also are very different from you. And that also goes into what I was saying about stepping out of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's different. You are a different version of yourself. So I really experienced that as well. Completely. Uh, So for a layman, just tell us what a sattvic meal is, Namita. Okay. Well, I'm no expert, but this is the kind of food where you don't have spices, no salts. Forget about non-vegetarian. That's not even on the horizon. So even on, even in pure vegetarian food, you get some really spicy food, right? So none of that. It's yeah. really, you, you would, bland is the word that would come to mind for a lot of people, but it's not bland in itself. You would find it bland because your taste buds are accustomed to really strong tastes. Mm-hmm. But because there, every vegetable has its own taste. And we call that bland when it doesn't have salt or spice or whatever on it. But it's something that we label it as. It is in itself, it has a taste of its own. So sattvic food encourages you to feel that of every vegetable. You're feeling that the actual taste of the vegetable as it is, instead of giving it all these accessories. Yeah. You know, and then you're tasting the accessories more than the vegetable itself, <laughs> which is also fine. I have nothing against that. But it's nice for a change to go into a different food culture and experience that that we did that and also it affects your mental state you are calmer you're calmer you're more peaceful you're not agitated as easily so i liked all of that excellent um and then you were mentioning about the people and the culture there uh, or how were your interactions with the locals there it was fun you know they have their own simple way of life they're not chasing time the way we are always looking at the clock they don't have that way of living at all so we met these villagers who were so as unassuming as possibly anyone can be and they met they met us me and there were these friends of mine who were from europe and someone from canada and they met them and they showed us the trails and they invited us home to for lunch at their place and some of them said you know do you speak you know of course they spoke english but they said that we know some guys who speak english if you want to get married you know you can do that you can get married to some of our boys they speak english too and i looked at my friends and said yeah what do you want you know he lives here he speaks english you know you might want to consider it and in india i guess it is a cherished national hobby to getting strangers married to each other so i think <laughs> I really found that really funny how they were trying to arrange a marriage between these random new foreigners and these simpleton Indians. English-speaking Indians. English-speaking Indians, yeah. I mean, it's perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I completely uh, hear you out of this because uh, I also remember reading a meme, I think, on similar lines that uh, the Indian parent logic is that you don't speak to strangers, but it's absolutely fine to marry one. That's, that's how they... <laughs> to go about right. it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what you do with strangers. You marry them. You don't go speaking to them. You know, that's just like not done. Yeah, those are funny stories, but yeah, so typical of um, some of the Indian uh, Indian things that um, foreigners yeah. find around here. Yeah, right? it's amazing that even in this remote corner, this is such a hobby. <laughs> you know, I was really amazed about that. I said, yeah, now I know I'm in India. Okay. Excellent. Um, Namita, as we inch closer towards the last few questions, um, any final bit of advice for budding travelers? Well, people ask me, how do you manage to travel? You're so lucky that you get to travel. 
Well, it's not luck. It all boils down to prioritization uh-huh. where you decide that, you know, I want to make this happen. And that's how anything in your life happens, right? Whether it's buying that car or buying, buying a house or having a job, you don't hear people telling other people, oh, you're so lucky you have that car. You know, nobody says that. People know that, okay, he made it a priority and he made it happen. So that's how it works even with travel. So you decide how important it is for you, how much you're willing to let go off to make this happen and what kind of travel you're into. So design it according to yourself. Don't design your travel according to what Google or some listicle or some blogger somewhere is telling you to do. Go according to your own instinct. Like for me, it was the yoga that got me to Nitala and then I loved it that much. So follow your own excitement because I really believe that in life, to follow your excitement and that applies in travel hugely, I think. Because your excitement is the clue to who you really are deep down. And I'm talking about like your deepest excitement, not like, you know, surface excitement, like I want to go watch a movie or smoke a joint or something. Nothing wrong with that. But the deepest excitement, which tells you this is who I am. So follow that, be on the trail of that, because what else are you going to be on the trail of life? You know, that's the most worthwhile trail to be on about who you are. So if you have that going on, then that will shape your travel beautifully because that's what's worked out well for me, I've noticed. And whenever I've tried to design my travel in terms of somebody else's preferences, that's not gone well. If I say that I want to see this place because it's on everybody's list and it's just one of those really popular places, you know, when they say those things like it's a must visit, everyone has to go there and, you know, those kind of overhyped places. That doesn't work so well, but if I follow my own instinct and I go to some really unknown place that nobody gives a damn about, I go and have a wonderful time there instead. So the idea is to save yourself time and be on your own trail of who you are and what excites you. And that will take you to the great experiences that are meant for you. Yeah, that'll take you places. That's that's a great Definitely. bit of advice. And I completely agree that bucket lists are very, very overrated. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, tell us a little bit more, Navita, uh, about what's coming up uh, in terms of projects you're working on or even in terms I, of travel that's coming up. Uh, tell us a little bit more. Well, yes. Uh, one exciting project that I'm up to these days uh-huh. involves interviewing a lot of older women. Okay. Yeah, because um, recently I wrote to the world's oldest yoga teacher. Mm. She's this woman called Tao Porshan Lin. She's half French, half Indian. She's marched with Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi both. And she's had an amazing life story. She lost, when she was born mid-ocean, and it's really sad that she lost her mom when she was born. But even with that kind of a tragedy, her life just has taken such beautiful turns. And the way she looks back on her childhood, you see all of that in her book called Dancing Light. I'm reading that these days. So I wrote to her saying, you know, I'd really like to interview you. And then I mentioned that my blog is in the top 50 yoga blogs Mm -hmm. for this, according to Book Yoga Retreats. And she said, sure. And I sent her some questions. So it's an email interview that's going to come out soon. So I'll I'll be putting that up on my blog. And I just think a lot of older women who are doing amazing things, and they are such a huge reservoir of wisdom and adventure. And like I said, what Gloria Dynam said, that women get more radical as age me i'm 31 a lot more radical than i used to be at 21 so i'm looking forward to growing older and more and more radical and women who are in their 70s i see so many of them doing such amazing things so i can't wait to like 
spread the word about them and talk more and more about them Excellent. because they're doing these amazing things in their lives and if i can just have their light spread a little more then that makes me feel really honored and one of my friends grandmothers in fact is wow. uh, traveling to cambodia i think sometime in march wow. and she's wow. 87 or i don't know something like that so these women they really blow my mind and you know i can't wait to be one of them one day but it's a long way before i'm 87 but until then i'm going to keep working at that goal so i'm going to be writing about them as well so if in among the readers if you know any of these older women who are doing kickass things with their lives please feel free to write in to me i'd love to write about them and meet them and explore what they're up to in their lives absolutely we will send some your way as we come across them yes <clears throat> cool so it's it's been one hell of a ride so far with all your adventures uh, doing yoga and um facing palm-sized spiders to oh, yes. <laughs> to those yeah. our journeys in the himalayas to get to netala it's been a wonderful journey so far and um i'm sure a lot of our listeners are excited about your work and uh, want to keep in touch so how's a good way to follow your work namita well i would say follow my blog radicallyeverafter.com there's a big follow button on the right side go hit that please and also on twitter i'm at namita kulkarni and on instagram i'm at namita_nefarious as an fyi we will have all these linked in our show notes handles the social media handles and the address of the url of the blog that namita just mentioned so our listeners and readers can go um, look look that up and follow namita from there sounds great namita It's been a wonderful journey and thank you so much for being such a nice guide. It's 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 really been an enchanting journey. As I said, there have been different kinds of people that have come here and spoken about different destinations, but this has been one of a kind because we literally set, yeah, we're literally setting out with no set goals or uh, expectations about uh things to check off or uh, scratch off a list. So it's it's just right. a way to go and disconnect from um the rest of the world the the rat race literally so i'm i'm pretty sure a lot of uh a uh, lot of the folks a lot of uh, listeners as well uh we are a part of that rat race and stress has become a part of the lifestyle so mm-hmm. this is a very good way of going and um enriching yourself spiritually and um even uh, even experientially i think by just disconnecting from the rest of the world so thank you so much for taking us on this journey and thank you for being a part of the musafir stories and helping us write a new chapter in this book yeah thank you so much do stay in touch and you'll also see about the yoga retreats that i'm going to be organizing pretty soon so you could also be a part of that if anybody's interested Absolutely we will link up Namita's blog and listeners can keep in touch with the various things that Namita is doing and someone interested can go be a part of a yoga experiences as well so thank you so much Namita Thanks a lot Seth I really had fun talking to you That was yet another great episode of The Musafir Stories if you guys like the show please subscribe to us on iTunes SoundCloud Stitcher Pocket Radio or any other podcasting app that's available on iOS or Android You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We go by the handle The Musafir Stories or if it's so true you could email us at themusafirstories@gmail.com and visit our website www.themusafirstories.com for more information. All of these links will be made available in the show notes section of the podcast. So here's to more traveling, sharing and inspiring. Stay tuned for our next episode. Until then, happy travels and goodbye.